This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We'll begin by reading our text from John chapter 4, will be the focus for our sermon. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea in the south and went back once more to Galilee in the north, his hometown. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat by the well It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who has given us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say, I have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. 
Lord God, we thank you for gathering us around your word. We, we pray that you would set up a divine appointment, just like you did with this woman, that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that you would give us encouragement and love and hope and healing. And don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of that divine appointment. In your name we pray, amen. You led me to change the focus of this message. By now, you all know that we're continuing our sermon series, Glad You Asked. And this whole sermon series is based on the questions that you have given to us. And one of those questions that kept on coming up was the question on divorce. And so today, when I received that question, um, what does God say about divorce? I originally thought that what I should preach on and what you were really wondering about is what are the reasons why God permits divorce? And so I was going to preach on these three things that when you open up your Bible, we find out that God permits divorce for, in three cases. And one, if there's adultery. Jesus says if your spouse committed adultery, it's permissible. You are permitted to get a divorce. Number two, if there is abuse. The Bible says if, if you're in an abusive relationship, you are permitted to get a divorce. Or if there is malicious desertion, if that other person went away, ran away, gave up, if they walked away, it's not on you. You are permitted to get a divorce. I thought that was what you were really asking about is what were the scriptural reasons for divorce? But then I sent out a few text messages and emails to people inside and outside of our congregation, to family, to friends who have been through divorce. And here's what I learned. You were vulnerable and honest, and I thank you so much. And this is what you told me. Some of you have committed adultery. Some of you were, were on the wrong side. You, you cheated on your spouse. And you talked about the overwhelming feeling of regret and guilt. This heavy weight of guilt that you are carrying every day of your life. And then some of you talked about how you were the one who was wronged. Your, your spouse was abusive. Your, your spouse deserted you. You tried to hold on. Um, they were the ones who walked away. They cheated on you. They gave up. And yet you still carry around this shame as if it was still uh, something that you did wrong. You're, you're still carrying around a shame, almost like you're, you're wearing this scarlet letter D everywhere you go. Both groups, whether you committed sin or that sin was committed against you, you both had this feeling of loss and grief. One person said it was like losing a limb and over time, there was some healing, but you always felt like you're walking with a prosthetic leg. Never 100%. Another person said that there was like a funeral. And some people say it's even worse than a funeral. Because when you lose a loved one in death, you can at least go through the process of grieving. But, but when you go through a divorce, that, that, that situation is still put back in front of you and you have to relive it over and over again, especially if children are involved. Some of you talked about the, the, the feeling of fear 
that you were afraid of what was going to happen to your children. How were they going to turn out because of this? You were afraid of what might happen to your finances. You were afraid that you were wondering, will I ever find love again? And so I came to realize that the question you were actually asking, you were not actually asking the question, um, what does God say about divorce? You were actually asking the question, what does God say about divorced people? What does he think about people who've been through a divorce? How does he respond to that feeling of guilt and shame and grief and loneliness and fear? The good news is, is that we know Jesus is true God and we see how he confronted and dealt and and encouraged somebody who had been through a divorce. And that comes from John chapter 4, our reading. So let's dive into that text and see what Jesus says about divorced people. Now, if you're reading through the the book of John, you come to John chapter 4 and There is this uh, group of religious leaders who are getting envious of Jesus' popularity. They're they're wanting to confront him or maybe to, to get rid of him. And so Jesus feels this pressure. And so he leaves Jerusalem and the country of Judea in the south. And he goes back to his hometown of Galilee. And then in John chapter 4, verse 4, the writer John gives us an interesting editorial comment. He says this, Now... He, that's Jesus, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. It was a necessity. And if you were one of the original readers of this, you would say, no, he doesn't. In fact, most people would bypass Samaria. Instead of going through Samaria, they would go around Samaria because Samaria was known as kind of a rough part of the country. And not only that, there was some prejudice and some racial divide between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so most Jews went around Samaria. And yet it says here in the text that he had to go through Samaria. Well, why was that? Because Jesus had a divine appointment that he was setting up. He knew that there was somebody in Samaria that needed to meet with God. And so he had to go through Samaria. Then verse 5 says this. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, that's another interesting detail that John puts in there. Whenever you read the Bible, you need to know that every word of the Bible is specifically chosen. There's no wasted words in the Bible. And John gives us this detail that it was about noon. Now, noon is the hot part of the day. And if you've ever been in desert regions, when it's noon, I remember when I lived in the Dominican Republic, nobody went out. Nobody left the house. It was noon. You You would take a nap. You'd eat a meal. But you wouldn't work. You wouldn't do anything at noon. You wouldn't see anybody. And yet, there's somebody who comes out to the well where Jesus is sitting at the heat of the day at noon. It says in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Another surprising detail. Why was this woman coming out to a well at the heat of the day? And why would she go in this rough part of town by herself? 
What had this woman done that she was kind of ostracized from the rest of the community, that she was doing this when no one else was around? Why was she working at the middle of the day all by herself? What was her past? Well, Jesus knew, and that's why he spoke to her. He asked the question, will you give me a drink? Now this surprised uh, this Samaritan woman. The woman was surprised. She said, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives this another editorial comment for, for the, the reader. He says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so Jesus here, he's breaking all of the cultural norms. He's breaking every cultural rule that you would have. First of all, Jews did not speak to Samaritans. And not only is she a Samaritan, she is a woman. And Jewish men do not speak alone with women. And so he's breaking every cultural code. Why was he doing that? We had something to offer her. And that's what he says in the next verse. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I'm asking you for a drink, but dear woman, if you knew who I was, you'd be talking to me. You'd be asking me for something. And I would give you water, but not just water that comes from a well. I would give you living water. Now, if you read through the book of John, uh, you'll notice, especially in, in John's portrayal of Jesus' life, that, that Jesus is often making uh, metaphors with common everyday objects. So he talks about bread, this bread that you eat that sustains your body, but he says, I'm the bread of life that sustains your soul. Other parts, he, he says, um, just like a vine has branches, and when the vine is connected to the branches, they have good fruit. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And here again, Jesus is using a metaphor with this water, water that sustains your body, but he's talking about living water that sustains our souls. But she doesn't get that metaphor at first. She doesn't understand what he's talking about. And so verse 11 says this, Sir... The woman said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? And so this well was kind of a, a religious um, place that you would go to. It was, a, it was this very important well that they would date back to the time of Jacob, really hundreds of years, thousands of years in, um, before, before their time. And they would go to this well, and it was a, this historic location. And, and she says, this is the, the greatest thing that we have to offer as Samaritans. And, and you think you're greater than, than Jacob who gave us this well? You don't even have a bucket to draw water from. Where are you going to get this living water that could also be translated like running water? Where would you get this spring of water? She still doesn't get the, the spiritual significance behind what Jesus is talking about. So he tries again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus be more direct. He said, you're thirsty. And I know you're thirsty and you keep coming back to this well, but, but this well is never going to actually quench your thirst. You're thirsty and you, you need something more than this well. And if you would drink the water that I would give, you would never have that thirst again. Still, she doesn't get the spiritual significance of what Jesus is saying and so she said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. That sounds great. Give me some of this water. I, I don't want to keep coming back here. And so finally, Jesus puts his finger on the issue. Jesus talks about what's really going on in her life. He, he talks about the spiritual thirst that she has. And he says directly, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. We're all thirsty. We're all missing something. We all know that, that there's something lacking in our life and we try to fill up whatever is lacking in our life with, with food and alcohol or entertainment or money or fame or hard work or notoriety in our community. Whatever it is, we all know that we're lacking something and we try to fill up this hole. The early church father Augustine said it this way, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until we rest in you. We're all restless. We have this restlessness. We know there's something lacking in our life. And we know we need something. And this woman, well, she was especially restless. Especially thirsty. She had gone through Five divorces, five failed marriages, and now she was living with a man. Now, we don't have any details about her story, but, but what could that story have been like? What, what did she go through? I mean, was maybe one of her husbands abusive and, and she had to leave? Um, maybe she was deserted. In that culture, there are documents that said that, that in that culture, you could divorce your wife if she burnt supper. Did that happen? Did, did, did someone just let her go to be left on her, on her own? Was she unfaithful? Was she the one who thought maybe the grass is greener on the other side? Maybe she's saying, this guy's not making me happy anymore. I'm going to find somebody else. And now she's filled with this regret and guilt and shame. And maybe after all these failed marriages, maybe she said, you know what? I'm giving up on this whole marriage institution altogether. It doesn't work anyways. And now she was just living with a guy. 
We don't know the story, but we know she was thirsty. We know that she knew there was something that was lacking in her life. There was regret, there was guilt, there was shame, there was fear, there was loneliness. She's all by herself, ostracized from the community. And I know some of you are feeling that way as well, because you told me. You told me um, the, the thirst that you have. You told me about the guilt and shame that you have because of the sin that you committed. You told me about the shame that even though that, that wrong was committed against you, you have this feeling of, of, of isolation, not knowing where you fit anymore. You told me about that, that fear of, of failure, that loneliness, that grief, and feeling like you lost a limb, like you lost a loved one, but you keep going back to the funeral ceremony over and over again, never to finally feel any true closure. You told me about your fear of your future with your children, about never finding love again, the fear of your finances. You told me about all these things that you're thirsty. And I want to tell you that you're exactly the person that Jesus wants to set a divine appointment with. That he had to move into your community. That he had to talk to you. That he had to set up this time to speak with you. Because he loves you. She finally gets it. She sees that, that this man is not just talking about water anymore. And so she's got some theological questions. She realized, okay, he, he's putting his finger on it. I have this, this feeling of lacking something. I, I'm lacking something in my heart and my soul and my spirit. I need to reconnect with God. So how do I do that? How do I find this living water? And so she has this theological question that had been debated at that time. She said this in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. So I have a theological question for you. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She says, okay, I want to meet with God. I want this living water, but where do I go? And See, there was this debate between Samaritans and Jews. The Samaritans had um, this holy place in Mount Gerizim. Way up in the north in Mount Gerizim, they, they falsely believed, it was historical false that Abraham had sacrificed Isaac on that mountain. That was actually also the mountain that Joshua, when they entered in and conquered the promised land, that's where he read the book of the law from that mountain. So it was a holy place. And the Samaritans mixed with some pagan religions would go to this holy site, Mount Gerizim. But the Jews would say, no, no, you need to go to Mount Zion where Jerusalem was, where the temple was, because that's the holy place where God is. And so with this debate that if you went to the right place, you could finally meet with God. And Jesus corrected that. Jesus responded, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, they were really close to Mount Gerizim in this conversation, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
They have this syncretistic religion of, of mixing paganism and, and true um, worship of the, the God of Israel. So they had this mixture of religions. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. That the Savior was going to come from the Jewish people. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus was telling her, you're all caught up in the place of where you worship, that you worship on a certain mountain, that you go to a certain historical location. That's not really the most important thing. The most important thing is that you worship in the spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Well, this woman, she had been through five failed marriages. And what do you think happens after you've been through that much heartache? You start to lose your connection with God. Maybe she wonders if God was really for her, if God was really there Because she probably prayed to God, God help me, as she's going through these failed marriages and God didn't seem to come to her rescue. And so maybe she wondered if God was really even there for it all. So she lost that connection. Or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe she thinks, you know, I've been through these five failed marriages. Maybe God's done with me. Either way, whether she thought I'm done with God or God's done with me, she had lost her spiritual connection. And so Jesus is saying, it's time to worship again in the spirit. To have that real spiritual connection, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have a real spiritual connection. But Jesus was saying, it's also not enough to just have a spiritual connection with God. Everyone claims to have some kind of connection with some higher being, but Jesus said it must be a connection that's built on truth. And right now you're not living according to the truth, Jesus says. You're living with this man outside of marriage, and it's not worshiping based on truth. Now this was a lot for her to take in. If this was true that that she could worship God again and have a real spiritual connection and that, and that she would have to leave her, her current style of life? Like this would, be, this would be a radically different way of living. And it was so much for her to take in. And so she says this, I know that Messiah called Christ. That's another editorial comment by John. Messiah is the Hebrew way of saying anointed one. Christ is the Greek way of saying anointed one. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. So she says, I know all of the, all the, my concerns and questions and, and fears will be answered in this Messiah. We're just waiting for the Messiah to answer all these questions. And then Jesus does something that he rarely does. See, usually Jesus kept his identity hidden He didn't go around blabbing that he is the chosen one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, God in the flesh, everywhere he went. He usually hid himself from most people. But to this woman, who had this deep pain, this deep thirst, he revealed himself. He said, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And that changed everything. 
Not only had this woman heard the love of God and the truth of God, but she saw God right there in front of her, the Messiah. She went running back into her town and started telling everybody, I just met this guy who told me everything that I ever did, all the bad stuff I ever did. Isn't this great? Isn't this amazing? And he still loves me. And he still wants to be with me. And he's not shunning me like all the rest of you are. And she started telling everybody about this. And it says that a great number of Samaritans came to the faith. So many of these pagan people in that community became believers because of this radical transformation of hearing the truth and love from Jesus himself. And I think this story clearly answers our opening question. Not just what does God say about divorce, but what does God think about divorced people? And what does God say and think about divorced people? Jesus seeks out and saves divorced people. How do I know that? Because that's what he did here. He had to go to Samaria. He had to seek this woman out. And he did. And he offered her living water and he spoke the truth and love to her. And that's the same for you. I know many of you maybe walked away from Christianity or walked away from the church because either you were done with God or you thought God was done with you. But God seeks out and saves people who have gone through this kind of hardship and this kind of loss and this kind of sin and this kind of grief. And we know that's true. Whether you feel it always or not, we know that's true because he came to us on the cross. That Jesus went up on the cross and he paid for every one of our sins. He lived for you, died for you, rose for you, and that is all for you. He seeks out and saves divorced people. But now what's the process of healing? What does that process look like? And I think Jesus helps us as he spoke to that woman. What did he say to her? Worship, worship God in spirit and in truth. There's something about worship that, that purges some of the pain and reminds us again of the hope that we have. And we must worship him. We, we call him worthy. We worship him. We give our life to him. We worship him in the spirit. I've seen it. I've experienced it. Many of you told me about it, but when someone goes through something so painful and so hard as divorce, many times you give up on God or at least give up on going to church. Sometimes for months, sometimes for years, sometimes for decades. Maybe because of guilt, maybe because of shame. Again, maybe because you thought God gave up on you or you gave up on God. But you're not going to purge that pain by running away from your only source of healing. And so worship in the spirit. Have that spiritual connection today. Open your heart up to the living water of God's Holy Spirit. And the good news is God wants to meet with you today as we receive the Lord's Supper. 
as you receive that communion with God, that, that that living water can live in you again, the Holy Spirit who reminds you that you're forgiven, love children of God. So worship again, be open again, worship again in the Spirit. But there's more than just worshiping a God or being connected to God. Also worship God according to the truth. Maybe because of your bad experiences, now you're trying to figure out your own way to live. But worship him based on the truth. Forget what happened yesterday. What happened in your past is in the past. It's forgiven. Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what is ahead, win the day. Live a sexually pure life. Again, believe in the truth of what God says about marriage. What he says about walking with him, live now, worship him in the spirit, have a real spiritual connection, but also do it according to the truth. And as you continue to worship him, your loving Savior, you're filled with that living water, you start that healing process. You start to have that kind of radical transformation, and you start to be a blessing to others as this woman was a blessing to her community. She couldn't believe it. God knew everything about her, all her guilt and her shame, and he still loved her. Now, I know many of you are hurting. I know that because you told me. You either have guilt, you have regret, you have shame, you have grief, you have loss, you have fear. And so I'm hoping that somehow you could picture yourself walking up to that well, and Jesus is already there waiting for you. And he wants to meet with you. And he wants to speak to you. And he wants to connect you. And he offers you this living water, the Holy Spirit, who's going to live in you and continue to remind you of God's love and grace and presence for you. I want you to hear him welcoming you to this new life to purge that pain through worshiping God in the Spirit and according to the truth. And when you do, I think you're going to experience what this woman experienced. This man told me everything I ever did, and he still loved me anyways. So receive this living water and turn to God. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this divine appointment, this time to be here and to hear your word and receive it. We pray, Lord God, that you would melt away all of our grief and our loss, that you would guide us in the way you want us to go, lead us to worship you according to the Spirit. Give us a real spiritual connection again and then help us to walk in your truth. Let your living water of your Spirit live in us so we could live for you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast. Brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.